it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Like how many of you just had your mind flood back to high school English class when you had to read Charles Dickens' book, uh, A Tale of Two Cities? How many of you remember having to read that and, and go through that process? I'm not sure I actually read that book. I think it maybe it was a part of our curriculum and maybe I read uh, Cliff's Notes or something. I'm not sure I read the book, but I know the line. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Now, how many of you have lived that out though? Where you're going through life and you're like, man, this, yeah, I hear someone laughing. No, exactly what we're talking about. Where you're going through life and you're like, man, this is awesome. And then just a moment later, like, man, this is horrible. In the Genesis story, when Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth. We know God created the world. Uh, he creates everything in it. He creates the fish in the sea. He creates all things. He creates man and woman. And he places them in the garden. And the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed, and that was a good place to be. And, and, and what are the two words? What are the two words that, that God uses to describe creation? Very good. He looked at everything that he created. He looked at it all, and he said, this is very good. In that moment, when God created everything, there was no death. There was no disease. There was no bankruptcy. There was no need to have locks on your doors. There was no need for insurance companies. It was complete peace and endless joy. This was not just happiness. This was endless joy. Okay? Sometimes we know seasons like this. I tell you this last week, I had a couple of days that I felt were like this, where I knew what peace and joy was. Last Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday here at Restoration Church was probably one of my favorite Sundays at Restoration uh, in our five-year existence. Edgerlees, you were gone. I'm really sorry you guys missed that. You missed out. It was, it was beautiful last week. The, the Spirit of God resting on here, uh, the people, it was just magnificent. Uh, I was able to preach a message that I desperately needed to be reminded of, that we have an eternal hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that because of his resurrection, there is an inheritance waiting for us with our name on it. There's an inheritance waiting for you, if you know Jesus, with your name written on it. Yeah, this is an inheritance that is imperishable. It is, is undefiled, unfading. Man, that's exciting to think about. That's exciting to know that that is what awaits us. And so we had this great celebration on Sunday. And then on Monday, my wife and I, we decided to take our family and, and go up to a cabin up in, in Lake Cachis. We're up by uh, Snoqualmie Pass. And we had uh, three days up at this cabin. And it was awesome. We played in the snow. We went sledding. Um, we played all sorts of games. We watched some movies. We ate great food. Um, I was introduced to something called Butterfinger Popcorn. Let me tell you what. I think the Bible misses. On the eighth day of creation, I think God must have made Butterfinger Popcorn. It's amazing. It just melts in your mouth. Like, I don't know how it went so fast. Costco, you can check it out. It is good stuff. And so we have this, this beautiful time with our family up in the mountain. And the best thing about it, there's no cell phone. No connection. And it was just this beautiful time to just be with the family and, and enjoy them and play with the kids. But we know that in the creation story, that after Genesis chapter 1 and after Genesis chapter 2 comes Genesis chapter 3. And that's where Satan enters in the world. 
That's when sin enters into the world. And that's where sin begins to jack up everything that God said was very good. All that God created that was, that was peace and joy, sin enters and jacks it all up, right? That peace, that joy, Satan begins to destroy. And Satan has this mission, is to take the people of God and get their eyes off of God and get their eyes onto themselves. And this is what he's done. In fact, Satan's, uh, one of Satan's biggest tactics, or one of his tactics that he uses, is he uses fear and anxiety and worry. He puts that in our hearts because it causes us to, to no longer focus on God. It causes us to focus on ourselves and it robs us of the privileges that we experience as the children of God. I'm not talking about uh, material privileges or financial privileges of being the children of God. He robs us of that peace that God promised. He robs us of that joy that he said we will have. He, he, he takes away the, the delight that we experience as being the children of God. He takes away what, what, what Jesus promises in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life, to give you abundant life. And Satan comes in and tries to fill our hearts with worry and anxiety so we don't experience what God ha has promised to us. And I'll tell you what, I came home from that cabin. I came home from that cabin and quickly that fear and anxiety began to take hold in my, my, my life and in my heart. And the joy and the peace from the last several days began to, to wear off. And I can't tell you how much anxiety I had knowing I was going to have to preach about anxiety. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, like, Kevin, you're preaching anxiety, and let me give it to you so you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's horrible. I mean, I, I come home, and I immediately feel this pressure of, hey, the church is in a good season, Kevin. You've got to continue the momentum. You've got to continue to, to do good, Kevin. I feel uh, this pressure. Uh, we come home, and, and there's a bill in the mail, a bill that we weren't expecting. We're like, man, where's this going to come from? I come home and, and I've got this to-do list that is literally a mile and a half long. Like it is, it covers the road that far. I, I've got this list. I open my garage when I get home. And, and, and one of the things on my list is to hang these cabinets. And I open my garage and guess what's staring right at me? The cabinets laughing at me. Ha, 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 ha. You've got to hang me. And it's a reminder. Hey, you've got this stuff to do. And then, and then we start looking at our schedule for this next week. Okay, we've got five kids. This next week, this is what we have, okay? We have four baseball games. We have two track meets. We have one ballet practice. We have three piano lessons. We have three kids going to youth group. And we have one mom and dad who are going to go crazy. Like, that's what's on the schedule this week. And I'm looking at my schedule and I'm feeling the weight of this. And here, I experience the best of times. On Easter Sunday, the best of times at the cabin. And quickly I come home and there's this war in my mind. With anxiety and worry. That quickly leads me in my heart to the worst of times. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you're looking for where Matthew is, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible... Uh, open up to around the middle of the middle of the book. It's going to be in the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. We've been in a series for a couple of weeks now. Maybe it's been a couple of months, uh, a month and a half or so. 
looking at what's called the greatest sermon ever told. Um, it's not a sermon preached by me. It's a sermon preached by Jesus as he began his public ministry. And, and Jesus has been hammering just a number of things that are so relevant to our day today, as well as to his day uh, back then. And today we're going to see that Jesus is going to deal with these exact issues on fear and anxiety. He's going to deal with that, which is very relevant. Now, again, I want to say that, that church, church is a safe place. It's supposed to be a safe place. Like, I just confess to you, man, here's my anxiety I dealt with today. And so I just, I want you to do this. I want you to, to, to put yourself out there today. How many of you will just raise your hand and say, fear and, and anxiety and worry has marked my life at some level? I've experienced fear and worry and anxiety, and it has marked my life. It has robbed me of the abundant life that Jesus has promised me. And I want you to think about this. I want you to consider that a majority of us rose our hand in here today. Listen, if you are somebody who's had your life that has been marked by this, listen, you are not alone. You are not alone. Because one of the things that happens is when we're filled with that fear and anxiety is we feel like we're the only one. We feel like we are the only one. And I think just in itself to recognize that majority of us in here today are struggling with that or have struggled with that, that should be an encouragement to you. That you aren't alone. This is something that so many of us deal with. It's something I think we have to deal with. Because it is, it is not a part of God's design, of the way that God, uh, his right design for our lives. Fortunately, God knows that. Fortunately, God knows that many of us are going to struggle with these issues. Fortunately, God knows that Satan is going to use this tactic to, to turn our eyes and to cause us to miss out on the abundant life that God has promised. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is going to deal very directly and very powerfully on how we deal with anxiety and worry. So we're going to jump in. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. If you have a Bible or your phone, you can read on there. Also, all the words will be on the screen behind me. And here's how he starts out. Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 6. It says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what, will, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, about what you will put on. Is not this life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, I recognize there's probably someone here today that's saying, Phew! Phew! He's only talking about being worried about food and clothing. And that's not me. I'm not worrying about those things. Like some of us would say, like, I've never had to worry about where my next meal is going to come from. Like, like, I've never asked that question. Maybe I've asked where am I going to eat this afternoon, but I've never had to ask where's my next meal going to come from. Uh, most of us would say, man, I, I didn't worry about what I put on this morning. I just put something on and, and here I am. I mean, that's what I do every day. That's why I look the way I do, right? Here I am. But what Jesus is talking about is more than just food and more than just clothing. It goes beyond that. Let me ask you this question. What are you anxious about? What brings you worry? What are you worried about? What's that thing that keeps you up at night? What's that thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night? What is the first thought you have in the morning that fills you with dread that fills you with worry, that fills you with anxiety. What is that in your life? Now, I don't know exactly where this comes. Actually, I think I do know where it comes from. 
When we have that worry and anxiety, I think there's a couple places it comes from. I think first it comes from the fact that sometimes we place more value or more priority on things than they should have in our life. It's kind of like we have this list of things that are important. And we have things that should be up on top of the list. And I think sometimes our worry and our, and our anxiety comes from when we take things that should be lower on the list and we place them higher. I think additionally, I think our worry and our anxiety comes from the fact that we don't trust God is good enough in that area of our life. And so Jesus looks at this and he says, hey, food and clothes, this is an example. And I'm not sure how many of us would say we worry about that. But, but what I did is I Googled, what are the most common uh, reasons for us to be filled with anxiety and worry? And I don't know what it looks like in your life. Here's, here's four things that, that many of us probably have struggled with or, or, or at some point. Number one is, is we worry about money. We worry about our finances, right? Now, most of us would say money is important. I mean, I, I think everybody if, in here would say money is, is important. Like, we pay rent with money. We, we buy groceries with our money. We, we put gas in our cars to drive to church with our money. So money, money is valuable. Money is not wrong in itself. But what happens is, is, is when we place too high of a value on money, man, we begin to be gripped with, with that anxiety and with that worry and with that fear. In fact, it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. This is something that fits all of us. In fact, I would even argue that maybe the more, uh, the more you have, maybe the more anxiety grows in your life. I had a, a friend, a mentor who mentored me for a long time. He retired and sold his business and had an eight-figure retirement. Eight, that's, that's over $10 million. That was his retirement fund. And through a couple bad investments, through some things that happened with his kids, he lost over 80% of his retirement fund. Now, he still had plenty. He still had lots. But what I knew this man, fear and anxiety and worry, it just gripped his life every day. It was a worry, what's going to happen? Money, 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 money. Listen, because we've seen examples like this one, because we don't know what tomorrow holds, what do we do? We begin to worry. We begin to hold on to things uh, that we can't control like money because instead of having our faith and trust in God as we begin to hold on to it and worry about it, right? Second area that people will struggle with with worry and anxiety is in relationships. Maybe this is your family relationships. Maybe this is relationships with your parents. Maybe this is work relationships. Um, How many of you would say, Okay, don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody who is bringing you that anxiety. But how many of you have had anxiety in those relationships, right? I mean, I'll just look at it from the perspective of, of children. Like, kids are a gift from God. They absolutely are. My wife and I, we have five gifts from God. A 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old. Like, we've got five of these gifts from God. And I recognize what my role is. I recognize that as a dad to these five kids, that I am to, to lead them. I'm, I'm to protect them. I'm to provide for them. I'm to, to, to help them grow and shape them to where they can become productive adults, that they would love Jesus and be productive members of society and of the church. Like, that's my, my role. But you know where fear and anxiety comes in? I mean, don't we live in a terrifying world? Like, it is scary. It is scary to think about raising kids in this day and age. 
And as, and as much as my job is to shape these kids and protect them, can I ultimately protect them from everything that is dark and everything that is bad? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And because the world is so scary, that's this, we just get filled with this worry. Like, what could happen? What's going to happen? What are they going to get into? And so what we try and do is because we have this anxiety and worry, is we assume control. We think if I can just control everything, then I can protect them from all that's dark and all that's bad in the world. And we become helicopter parents. Have you seen parents like this? Helicopter parents that, that hover around everywhere their kids go, trying to protect them, trying to make sure everything works out just right. And they become these helicopter parents. Listen, I'm convinced if you want to build resentment in your kids' lives, then be a helicopter parent. I'm convinced it doesn't work. Listen, parents, your job... Parents, your job is to uh, lead your child to adulthood. And adulthood doesn't begin when they're 27 years old, when you finally let them out on their own. Like our job is to lead them to where they can stand on their own, that they can love Jesus on their own, and they can be a productive member of society. Man, and here's... Again, this is more anxiety just where it comes from me. I look at some of my kids. I look at some of the dumb things they do. All right? Listen, kids are born sinners. You and I are born sinners. And sometimes kids do dumb things, and there becomes this anxiety and that worry that comes in. Man, what's going to happen? They're going to turn into some fruitcake because they just did this dumb thing. And you become this, you have this worry. Man, relationships. Third area that I think we struggle with with anxiety and worry comes from our identity. It comes from our reputation, Right? How much worry in your life is tied to what people think about you? I mean, isn't this why it's hard for us to admit our failures? Isn't the why it's hard for us to admit that we're struggling in an area of life because we have this thought, well, what's so-and-so going to think about me? What is, what's going to happen? What is my mother-in-law going to say about me if I admit this? What is, what is the neighbor, who I don't really like anyways, but I'm trying to compete with, what are they going to say about me to other people at the school and whatever else? Because we put too much value in other people's opinions. Listen, if you allow your identity to be, to be based on other people's opinions, that is a miserable life. That is a completely miserable life. Fourth area that I think we struggle with anxiety and, and, and worry is in our health. Whether it be our own health or, or the health over the ones that we love. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you, I hope there's other of you, not just me. How many of you have that pain in your leg and a twitch in your eye at the same time? And what do you do? You go to Google. You start searching the symptoms. Well, got the rarest form of cancer that has a hundred percent mortality rate death rate and so you have all this anxiety that night thinking i've got to rewrite my will and i've got to make sure the kids are taken care of because you had a pain in your leg and a twitch in your eye at the same time and that's what google says right we worry about our health the health of the people around us and here's what jesus says the anxiety in your life, whatever area it is, maybe it's food and clothes, maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's some other area. Here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Now, 
There's two ways to hear that verse. Verse 25. You can hear that verse either as a command or as an invitation. Listen, the, the, the word of God, it, it is absolutely God's word. This is what the Bible is. And, and uh, God's word often has commands. These are not suggestions. These are commands. But I want you to hear this verse. I want you to hear this as an invitation. That God is inviting you to live an anxiety-free life. Let me tell you why. I told you we've got these five kids. And when the kids were younger, okay, maybe you had this happen in your life. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Where you're in the middle of the night, you're sleeping, and you hear one of your kids have a nightmare in the middle of the night. And they scream. And you're laying in bed, you hear the scream, and you kind of just lay there. Then you're, you feel the punch in your shoulder because your wife says, get up and go deal with it. Right? Men? Anybody? And you get up in the middle of the night. Listen, when your kid is worried in the middle of the night, you walk into the room and command them, do not be anxious about your life. Go to sleep. Listen, that's not helpful. Like that kid is worried about whatever's in the closet, about what they're going to do and whatever it is. And when you come in and command them, now they're worried about whether or not they can actually obey what dad just commanded them to do or not. See, a good dad is going to snuggle up with the kid He's going to hug them. He's going to talk to them. He's going to invite them. Listen, buddy, you don't need to be afraid. Dad's here. You're not alone. See the difference between that? God is a good father. He's our father. He's not coming in to say, hey, listen, you people are so screwed up with your anxiety. Do not be anxious about life. No, he's saying, listen, I love you. Listen, you don't have to carry this on your own. You're not alone. I'm with you. And it changes the idea of it when you view this as an invitation instead of a command. That we view this as something that our loving father is reaching out to us and saying, listen, listen, you don't have to live with anxiety. You don't have to carry that on your own. You are not alone. So Jesus says this. He says, listen, Listen, I'm inviting you. Do not be anxious about your life. And as Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus is on the mountain. The people are down below him. Begins to look around. Hey, I've got a couple examples from things I see right around me. He uses some examples to help them accept that invitation. So verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more, are you not of more value than they are? My wife and I, well, I should say me, I, I live in the country for the very first time in my life. I've always lived in the city. And we just built this house and we're kind of, we're kind of in the country, kind of not in the country. But one of the things that I've loved about living out where we are is, is, is I can look out and there's this little valley below us. And I can look out and I see these birds flying around. These big birds. And I'm like, these things are, are ginormous. Like, I only thought those were in, uh, like, uh, on the Discovery Channel or whatever else. But there's this one big blackbird that flies around. And it's kind of hovering. And I'm, I'm kind of like, when I see it, I tell the kids to come inside. Because it's a bird that's going to pick up one of my kids and take it away. Like, it's this big, scary bird. But what I've noticed about these birds as I watch them fly around is they're not lazy. 
Birds aren't lazy, man. They're, they're doing what they're created to do. They're off building nests. They're off searching for food. They're off uh, feeding their children. They're doing these things. But I've, what I've never seen birds do, I've never seen them build like warehouses. I've never seen a bird build a, build a barn. They don't do that. They don't have 401ks. You know what happens when a bird gets old? It flies into your sliding glass window and dies, right? Like that's what a bird does. They're not planning. They're not worried about the future. See, worry and anxiety comes when we can try to control things that we were never meant to control. And here Jesus says, hey, look at the birds. Listen, their provision for food is completely outside of their control. Yet God provides for them. And he's, Jesus is saying, listen, aren't you and I, aren't we more valuable than the birds are? I mean, the birds, they're not created in God's image. We are. Jesus didn't go to the cross to die for the birds. He went to the cross to die for us. We, as humans, are God's special creation. We are created in his image. And Jesus is saying, listen, if God provides for the birds, if he takes care of them, certainly you and I are of more value than they are. And certainly God's going to provide for us and take care of us as well. He continues in verse 27 and it says, And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Listen, when we're filled with that fear and that worry and that anxiety, listen, that doesn't add to the quality of our life. That doesn't lengthen our life. Actually, what happens is it robs us of enjoying the life around us. And Jesus is saying, listen, quit torturing yourself. Quit trying to figure out how to make your life better. Quit trying to just, just, just anxiety is robbing you uh, of experience and the peace and the joy that God has given to you for today. And he looks at he, he, he gives, us an, gives us another example from the mountainside around in verse 28. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, ni- they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown out into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? He says, guys, just, just look around at the lilies. Look at the flowers of the fields around you. Those flowers, they don't have a will. They don't wake up in the morning and say, man, we should go to work today. and We should make ourselves look really pretty and, and dress ourselves with all these beautiful colors and all these beautiful petals for everybody to see. They don't do that. Jesus is saying God takes pleasure in taking that kind of care of a flower. That's here today and gone tomorrow. He takes pleasure in adorning them with the utmost beauty and color so they look greater than Solomon, who is one of the richest men in the Bible. He says, if God takes that kind of delight in taking care of the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much greater delight would God take in taking care of us and providing for us and taking care of our needs? And working in our lives. Here's the bottom line. Here's what Jesus is going to say. Here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to hear today. 
Verse 30, Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, uh, 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 and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Here's what he says. O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. Listen, this isn't, this isn't God, this isn't Jesus saying, um, oh, you guys are just little immature brats. You guys are so bad. No, this is, this is Jesus saying, listen, I love you guys. You just have to grow in this regard. See, I, I, I think this is the key because I think that the, the weapon for us uh, that God has given us to fight fear and anxiety in our life, the weapon that God has given us is faith that God is ultimately good and that he rules and reigns over our lives with a wisdom greater than our own. The question when we're dealing with, with, trust, with worry and anxiety is, do you trust God is enough? See, I grew up as a Boy Scout. One of the things I did as a Boy Scout. And one of the things I remember we did is we were going to go and do some rock climbing. And so they strap us into these harnesses, and they put us on this rope. And we walk out to this cliff, and he says, we're going to repel first. And he says, I'm going to tell you a secret. So I'm going to tell you a secret. Every single person who stands at the top of this cliff and is preparing to leap off feels fear. Every single person. He said, there are some guys that have this bravado and try and make it sound like, oh, I'm so great. This is awesome. I can't wait for this. But he said, I'm going to tell you a secret is every single person, when they strap on this rope for the very first time, they are going to feel fear. He says, you have to learn to trust the rope. You have to learn to trust the anchor. Listen, I... I don't know how you live your life. I don't care if you try and live the most boring life possible. Life is not this easy, flat, peaceful places. There are cliffs that we jump off. There are mountains that we climb. And when you're in that season, when you're on that cliff, when you're in that season, when you face the mountain, uh, when worry and anxiety and fear are in your life, it's a trust issue. Are you going to trust the anchor? Are you going to trust that God is the anchor of your life? The fear and the worry and the anxiety that most of us have most often is simply an issue that we don't trust God is good in that moment. As simple as that. Listen, don't, don't mishear me though. Okay? Don't, don't lie to yourself on this issue. You do no good just to say, no, I, I trust God. Because when I say this, listen, I don't mean that you don't, I don't mean that you're a bad person. I don't, I don't mean that you don't love God. I don't mean that you're not a Christian. I don't mean that you don't trust God in most areas of your life. But I would say that every one of us in this room, there is an area that we are lacking in faith and trust in God. There is an area of our life that we are struggling and saying, I don't know if I can trust you right here, God. Like, I can trust you with my salvation. I can trust you with this. But I just don't know if I can trust you with this area. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's whatever that issue is for you. There's, there's an area that most of us in here are struggling to trust God with this area of our life. And I'm going to just tell you this, there is no freedom for you. There is no freedom for us if we cannot confess and say, God, this is an area of life that I'm struggling to trust you in. There's no freedom. 
Listen, I recognize that some of us in here today, and you're saying, well, I have a reason why I don't trust. Like, I've, uh, there's been something that happened in the past. There's been this hurt. There's been this trauma that I've experienced. There's things that make me nervous. There's things that make me afraid to trust you. Listen, we all have those issues. I want us to just recognize the root of it. Because, listen, the fear and the worry and the anxiety is never going to, uh, you're never going to have it lose power over you until you learn to recognize the root of that, to recognize that it's a trust issue until you learn to be honest about what drives it. Now, this area of life is an area that you're struggling to trust God in. Listen, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean you don't love God. It just means you're human. There's an area that we struggle to place our trust in Him. And we have to learn just to, to lay this before God and just be honest. Say, God, God, I need help trusting you. There's this area of my life and I'm trying to control it and hold on to it because, God, I just don't know if I can give it to you. God, I know you have me. God, I know I'm in your hands, but I I need you to help me build confidence in this area. I need you to help me trust you, God. See, I think one of the most merciful things that God can teach us is that all the control that we think we have in our life is an illusion. That's got to be one of the most freeing things that God can teach us. Is all the control of your life that you think you have is actually an illusion. As much as, as we desire to control our lives, I think about kids. As much as I desire to control the outcome of my kids' lives. Listen, I can do everything just right. I can do what all the books say. I, I, I can do everything that's just right for my kids. And guess what? There's no guarantee my kids are going to turn out the way I want them to. There is no guarantee. Just as well as there are people who do everything completely wrong with their kids and their kids turn out wonderful. There is no guarantee that we have any sort of control to how our kids turn out. You, you, you can try and control your finances, but guess what? You have no control over what happens tomorrow. You can, can try and control your health, but guess what? You have no control what happens tomorrow. We are to be good stewards. You have those kids, you make a plan, you seek some wisdom, and you raise your kids that way. But ultimately, we have to learn to lay in our bed at night and say, God, there's nothing else I can do. God, I trust you. God, I'm giving this to you. I know some of you in here, some of us in here, we're control freaks, are we not? We like having all this control. We like thinking that we have this control. And listen, this is what Jesus is saying. Give up the control of it. Because it's an illusion. When you, at the end of the day, the question is whether you're going to let God be God or not. Because control, when you try and be God, when you try and control the outcome of your life, listen, it's just going to add and fuel the worry. It's going to fuel the anxiety. You'll never have freedom from it. You'll never have the peace and the joy that God has promised you. Because when you, the more you control, the more you hold on to, the more that worry and anxiety are going to continue to mark your life. In fact, here's, here's what Jesus says about that control. This is an incredible grace. Verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. 
He gives us this invitation to dive into full devotion to God and not worry about the future. See, all those things that we worry about, all those anxieties that we carry on our backs, do you recognize how foolish it is for us to carry those burdens when God has promised to carry those burdens for us? He just said, listen, if you seek me first, if you seek my kingdom first and foremost in your life, listen, I will carry those for you. That's what he's saying to us. And it's so foolish for us to say, no, I'm going to carry all these burdens on my back. I'm going to rob my joy. I'm going to rob my life of the abundant life that God has promised because I'm refusing to let him carry these. This is incredible grace that Jesus just said, listen, trust me. I'll carry it for you. I got your back. I'm for you. I'm working things out for your good and for my glory. He closes with this great line in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, when we are filled with that anxiety and that worry and that fear about tomorrow, you know what happens? It's that robs us of our capacity to enjoy the peace and the joy that God has given us for today. When you're so concerned about what you're trying to control in the future, about what's going to happen tomorrow, it completely robs you of the capacity to enjoy the, 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 the peace and the joy that God has given you for today. Listen, I know what my schedule is going to be like this week. It's going to be a crazy, stinking week. And I can sit here and say, man, I'm so, how am I going to get it all done? How am I going to do all this? And I would completely miss out on the fact that God has blessed me with some amazing things for today. I get to be home with my kids today. I get to watch movies with them and eat lunch with them. I get to go get some coffee with some new friends tonight. I get to go home and have lunch with my beautiful wife. I get to be able to have uh, gospel conversations with my kids. Listen, how's your trust in God? And I would completely miss out on those opportunities if I'm so consumed with worry and fear about what the rest of the week is going to hold. This is what Jesus is saying. Listen, be present today. Be in this season of life you are in. See, too many times we live in that, uh, there's something called the then syndrome. Too many Christians have the then syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. The then syndrome, where, where we say, you know, um, if I would just get married, then... Everything would be okay. You know, if, if the kids, if they would just get out of toddler age and get out of diapers, then I'd be doing really good. You know, if, if, if um, I just got that promotion, then, then I'd be set. You know, if the church, if the church could just get their own building and not have to do set up and tear down, then everything would be awesome. Right? And by living with a then syndrome, we completely miss the joy of the season of life that we're in right here and right now. Listen, what is the area of your life that you are struggling to trust God in today? What are you holding on to? What are you trying to hold on to and control because you want things to be your way? Where are you refusing to accept the invitation that Jesus gave us? Where is it that you are refusing to accept the invitation 
to do not be anxious about your life, but to seek first his kingdom and trust him to carry that burden in your life. I'm going to close with just a couple of practical uh, practical application points, practical things that you can go through and say, man, if I'm struggling with anxiety and worry, how do I grow in my trust? And let me just say first and foremost, uh, man, anxiety and worry, uh, it can be a medical issue. And if you are someone who is marked with that in your life, man, I would encourage you uh, to, to call your doctor, to talk to a, a counselor, begin to work through some of those issues because there can be deep healing found in that. But aside of that, a couple practical things to help you grow in your trust in God. Number one, learn to give thanks. Learn to be someone who who gives thanks. Where you can begin to look at your life and recognize the areas that God has been. Recognize the areas that God has provided for you. I'll tell you the way I did this. You can do this in your head, but I started a gratitude journal. I wanted to be able to write down every day, hey, here's five things I saw God do. Here's five things that God did for me today. Because I wanted to to begin to see, hey man, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. Look at all these things he's done. And I get a week out, and I'm like, man, look at all that. There's 35 ways that God has provided. 35 things that I can praise God for. And and I can begin to see in my life, man, he is worthy. He, He is faithful. And what happens when you learn to give thanks like that? Well, you learn to seek the, the blessing that God has put around you it begins to rewire your brain. It begins to rewire your brain, your brain to, to see and to look for God's goodness in all circumstances. Learn to give thanks. Number two, listen, you fight anxiety, you fight worry with the promises of God. Meditating on the promises of God. Meditation is not just some Eastern religion thing uh, that you do when you're doing yoga. Meditation is where we, we, we look at the promises of God, the attributes of God, and we begin to meditate on what God's word says about himself. And I just, a couple verses to think about. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, man, they comfort me. God, you're on my side. God, you are with me. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. You begin to meditate on the promises of God, on the attributes of God. And guess what? When you have that time, when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you have that nightmare, and you're worrying about what's in the closet, God's, you have that word in your, in your mind, you have that meditation, you're like, that's right. God's with me. I'm not alone. That's right, God cares for me. That's right, God is with me. You learn to identify your fears and replace them with the truth of God's word. The truth of God's character. Last area of practical application is you learn to pray. Listen, how's your prayer life? 
middle of all that anxiety, how's your prayer life? I was listening to a pastor this week talk about this issue. And he said, listen, uh, there was a season of his life where he's filled with this anxiety and this worry. And uh, his friend said, how's your prayer life? He says, well, I'm praying all the time. He said, I don't think you're really praying. Because when you pray, what you're doing is you're giving that burden to God. He said, I don't think you're praying to God. I think you're complaining to God. There's a difference. Because when we really learn to pray, that we are taking that burden off of our back and we're giving it to God. That's what prayer is. Listen, how's your prayer life? Are you just complaining? Are you actually praying and giving that burden and letting Jesus do what he said he's going to do? To carry that burden for you. Listen, I know this is a topic that touches many of our lives. And I want you to hear that invitation today. It was just as true for Jesus' listeners on the mountainside as it is for us in here today. Listen, here's your invitation. That, that worry, that anxiety that has marked your life, you don't have to carry it anymore. You are invited to live an anxiety-free life. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take us every day searching for those areas of life that we aren't trusting him and saying, God, I need you here. God, I need your help in this area. God, I need you to grow me and grow my faith and grow my trust in you right here today. So I'm not robbed of the life that you've promised me. Of the joy, of the peace. Listen, that doesn't mean that God's going to change your circumstances. Just because I can trust God with my kids doesn't mean my kids are going to be wonderful. But when you learn to trust God... You can say, man, God, I trust you whether they work out this way or that way. Because ultimately, God, I know that you are good. Ultimately, God, I know that you are working things out. You have a purpose. You have a plan. And God, I'm trusting you.